Tonight we have a very important subject to study, one which is uh, discussed quite a bit among Christians in different churches. But um, we're interested particularly in what the Bible has to say about Holy Spirit baptism. So instead of telling you what the different churches believe on this, we need to go directly to God's Holy Word. So I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 4, and we'll begin our study with this famous story of the encounter of Jesus with the Samaritan woman. You remember that uh, the Lord Jesus was sitting on Jacob's well, and suddenly this woman, a Samaritan, by the way, Jews and Samaritans uh, did not like each other at all, so Jesus is sitting there, she comes to draw water, she kind of ignores him, and then he says, give me some water to drink. And the conversation begins, and uh, Jesus eventually in the conversation says to her, you know, uh, the water that you draw from this well, if you drink it, you're going to thirst again. But the water that I am able to give you, if you drink it, you'll never thirst again. Now this is where we want to pick up the story in chapter 4, and verses 13 and 14. John chapter 4, and starting with verse 13. Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him, I want you to notice the tense of the verb, that I shall give him. That's crucial for what we're going to study tonight will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into eternal life. Now there are two things that I want to underline in this passage which are crucially important. You know, when we read the Bible, we have to read the Bible carefully, lest we miss some very important points by reading the Bible superficially. The first thing that I want us to notice is that Jesus invites people to come to drink water from where? From Him. That's the first step. People come to drink water from Jesus. At this stage, is Jesus giving this woman the water, or is, she say, or is He saying that He will give in the future this water? He's saying in the future. And then the third point that I want us to notice here, which is very significant, is that after the water has been drunk that Jesus gives, then the one who drunk or drank becomes a fountain himself or herself. Did you notice that? Notice clearly, this is crucial for what we're going to study tonight. Verse 13 says, whoever drinks of this water will never thirst again. So first of all, the person drinks. In verse 14, he says, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. And then it says, but the water that I shall give him, notice once again the tense of the verb, will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. So you drink from the fountain and then you become a fountain. How many understand what I'm saying? Is this clear in your mind? Now let me ask you, what was Jesus talking about when he said that he was going to give this water? To what event was Jesus referring there's no doubt whatsoever that Jesus was referring to the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. You say, how do we know that? Well, there are hints in this chapter that indicate that. Notice verse 10. Chapter 4 and verse 10. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the what? Don't forget that word. If you knew the gift of God, and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. So what Jesus is going to give is called a what? A gift. Don't forget that. The second hint that we have is found in verse 23. Verse 23. But the hour is coming, and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father, how? In spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. Now, He's just said previously to this that uh, 
People are not going to come to worship on this mount in Samaria or in Jerusalem. The time is coming when they're going to worship in spirit and in truth. In other words, there will not be any particular place to worship because the Holy Spirit will be present where? Everywhere. And then notice verse 35. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. Do you know which harvest Jesus was speaking about here? He was speaking about the harvest of souls that were gathered in as a result of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. In fact, when Jesus said, look at the fields, they're, they're already ripe for the harvest, Actually, Jesus was not pointing at wheat or at barley. Jesus was pointing at the whole town that this woman was bringing back with her, telling them about Jesus as the great prophet which had spoken to her. So we have several hints in this passage that what Jesus is speaking about is the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Now, there is a passage which is explicit, and when you compare it with this, there's no doubt whatsoever that John 4 is speaking about the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Go with me to John chapter 7. John chapter 7, and let's begin at verse 37. Jesus is at the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles was one of those feasts where all Jewish men, 12 years and older, had to go once a year. There were three of them, and Tabernacles was one of them because it was a harvest festival. And so Jerusalem is filled with people from many, many different places. Uh, Flavius Josephus says that sometimes during Passover there were about a million Jews in the city of Jerusalem. So you can imagine the hustle and bustle in the city. And in the midst of the presence of all of these people, I want you to notice what takes place. Verse 37. On the last day, that great day of the feast, which is the eighth day, there were eight days in the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Is this parallel to John chapter 4? Yes, let him come to me and drink. Now, you remember in John chapter 4, Jesus says that after we drink, we become fountains? Actually, we're channels through which the water that he pours in us, we pour out then to others. Notice what it continues saying in verse 38, he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So the water that comes in is the water that goes out. When you receive the Spirit, you impart the Spirit. When you drink of the Spirit, the result is that you become a channel of the Spirit towards other people. What was Jesus talking about? Well, fortunately, John explains explicitly what Jesus meant. Notice verse 39. But this he spoke concerning what? The Spirit. So what does the water represent? The Holy Spirit. Now we know why in John chapter 4 Jesus says that I shall give. Because at this point he could not give it yet. We're going to notice. So, but this he spoke concerning the Spirit whom those believing in him would receive. Notice future. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet what? Was not yet glorified. Now we're going to come back to that idea of Jesus being glorified. But is it clear in your mind so far that during his ministry Jesus could not pour out the Holy Spirit? Is it clear that the water that he's going to give is the Holy Spirit? Is it clear that when you drink of the Holy Spirit, the result is that you become a channel for the Holy Spirit to bless other people as well, and you become a fountain of living water? Is that clear in your mind? I hope so, because it's very important. Now, where does all of this terminology come from? Where does this whole idea of people coming to drink from a person come from? I mean, that sounds kind of strange, doesn't it? Actually, this whole scene comes from the Old Testament. Now, we're not going to read it. You have it on your list of texts. It's in Exodus chapter 17. I'm just going to tell you the story of where this comes from. You remember that Israel was in the desert. 
They were thirsting. They thought that they were going to die of thirst. They were complaining. So God told Moses, take your rod, the rod with which you smote the river, that is, with which you smote the Red Sea. And he said, come to the rock at Horeb, and with your rod, strike the rock. And when you strike the rock with your rod, the result will be that the rock will give forth its what? Its waters. Now what a strange story. You know, people who are not perceptive readers of the Bible, you know, they say, oh yeah, well Israel, you know, they got water from the rock. God is good, isn't he? And God is good. But there's much more to this story than just God giving water to Israel. You see, the Bible tells us what the rock represents. Notice 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4. Here we're told clearly what this rock represented. The rock was symbolic. It says there, speaking about the experience of Israel, the same experience that we noticed in Exodus chapter 17, it says, and all drank the same spiritual drink. Did you notice that spiritual drink? Spirit, spiritual, the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. So what did the rock represent? Jesus, Jesus Christ. What does the water represent? The Holy Spirit. Now what does the rod represent? Because there's an act where Moses takes the rod and he strikes the rock. And when he strikes the rock, the waters come forth. What is that idea of striking the rock? Well, go with me to the book of Isaiah. Same terminology that we find here. Isaiah, and let's go to that famous messianic prophecy, chapter 53 and verse 4. Chapter 53 and verse 4. Incidentally, do you remember the rod of Moses? What happened every time Moses lifted up his rod? There was a judgment. There was a punishment. Isn't that right? When he raised up the rod, the Egyptians were drowned in the Red Sea. When he raised up the rod, plagues fell upon Egypt. In other words, the rod represented punishment or judgment. Now notice what it says in Isaiah 53 verse 4, speaking about Jesus. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him what? Do you notice the word? Stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Notice the terminology, stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Let me ask you, in the wilderness, who should have suffered the judgment of that rod? Israel! Because they were murmuring, they were sinning against God. But instead of them suffering the judgment of the rod, the rod falls upon the rock. The, the rod smites the rock. It continues saying in verse 5, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our, for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. So what is God saying in this beautiful symbol in the Old Testament? He's saying that the rock, Jesus, was going to be smitten by the rod of the judgment of whom? Of God. And after he was smitten by the rod of judgment of God, what was, God, what was he going to be able to send forth as a result? He was going to be able to send, as a result, the blessing of the Holy Spirit. Are you following me? In fact, do you know that Jesus had actually made an agreement with his Father? And he said, Father, I'm going down to the earth. I'm willing to live a perfect life, struggle against the devil. I'm willing also to go to the cross and to die with the hopes that you will resurrect me from the grave. But Father, I want to promise. And that is that if I am successful in my mission, that you will give my people the promise of the Holy Spirit. That was the agreement. 
Now, I want you to notice that in Acts chapter 1 and verse 4. This pouring out of the Holy Spirit is called the promise of the Father, time and again in the Gospels and in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1 and verse 4. It says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for what? For the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. So who was this promise made by? It was made by the Father. To whom? To Jesus. And when Jesus fulfills his part of the bargain, so to speak, the Father sends the Spirit that he has promised to his Son to the people of Jesus. Notice also Acts chapter 2 and verse 33. Acts chapter 2 and verse 33. Once again, the idea of the Spirit coming from the Father as a result of what Jesus has done. It says in verse 33, Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, and, and this is speaking about Jesus, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. Who received from the Father the promise? Who did? Jesus. But didn't the disciples also receive the promise of the Father? Yes. But the promise was made to Jesus, and through Jesus to whom? To the disciples. And so it says, once again, verse 33, Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out, what do you pour out? Water, that's right. He poured out this which you now see and hear. Notice also verse 39. For the promise is to you and to your children, and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. So it's the promise made to Jesus, and through Jesus it is given to whom? To us. Now what did Jesus mean when he said that the Holy Spirit could not be poured out until he was glorified? Let's go to the Gospel of John and try and determine what Jesus meant when he, meant, when he said... I cannot pour out the Holy Spirit until I am glorified. Uh, John chapter 12, and we'll read verse 23 and 24, and then verse 31. Verse 23, it says, But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be what? Glorified. Now, what was he talking about? Notice the next verse. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much, what? Grain. Then notice verse 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out, and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. What did Jesus mean when he said, I will be lifted up from the earth? He was talking about his what? About his crucifixion. Like a grain of wheat, he was going to go into the tomb, into the grave. And as a result, there was going to be much fruit. In other words, Jesus could not pour out the Holy Spirit until Jesus had died, resurrected, and ascended to the throne of God and been glorified. Are you understanding what I'm saying? You remember that Jesus in his high priestly prayer, John 17 and verse 5, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify me with the glory I had with you when? Before the world was. In other words, the Holy Spirit could not be poured out until Jesus died and resurrected. And you say, why not? The Apostle John tells us that the Holy Spirit does three things. It convicts of sin, it convicts of righteousness, and it convicts of a judgment to come. Now let me ask you this. What good would it do for the Holy Spirit to convict you of sin unless there was a sacrifice for sin? Are you understanding me? What good would it do for the Holy Spirit to convict the world of righteousness if Jesus had not lived a righteous life that could take the place of our unrighteous life? What good would it have done for Jesus, to, the Holy Spirit, to convict the world of judgment, of a judgment to come, if there's no way that we could escape being judged and condemned for being sinners? 
In other words, Jesus had to live a perfect life. Jesus had to die. Jesus had to resurrect so that then he could give the Holy Spirit and I could receive forgiveness. I could receive his life, power, and in this way, I could face the judgment with certainty and with peace. In other words, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit was based on the work of Jesus Christ. Now, I want us to go to a crucial verse in our study tonight. Let's go to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 11. This is the first promise that we find in the New Testament about the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. And I want you to remember this verse because we're going to come back to it. It's critical, it's crucial, because time and again, the later authors and speakers are going to come back to this verse or to this concept. It says there in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, and it's John the Baptist who is speaking, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with what? With power. When is it that Jesus baptized his followers with the Holy Spirit and with power? Did he give that water to the Samaritan woman? While he, while he ministered? No, he couldn't have. Did he give it to the people who came to the Feast of Tabernacles? No. Because we've already noticed that the Holy Spirit could not be poured out until Jesus was what? Was glorified. He had to live a perfect life that he could give us in place of our imperfect life. He had to die the death that I should suffer and he had to resurrect and ascend to heaven to receive the promise of the Father so that the Father then would pour out the promise upon God's people, upon the people of Jesus. Now let's remember this verse, Matthew 3.11. He says, I baptize you with water, but the one who is coming after me will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with power. Now, this was spoken about six months before Jesus began his ministry, and already John the Baptist is talking about the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Now let's go to 40 days after the resurrection of Jesus and see what Jesus had to say about this. Go with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16. Mark, chapter 16. And uh, let's read, starting with verse 15. And there's a very crucial point here. Let me ask you, when you receive the blessing of the Holy Spirit, what is your duty? What is your duty? It is to employ the power to witness to others. It is to employ the power so that others can also receive the Holy Spirit. Now that is very clear here in Mark chapter 16 and verse 15. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And incidentally, this is par parallel to Matthew 28, verses 18 and 20, where Jesus says, All power is given to me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. It's the same occasion, the same words, expressed in a little bit different terminology. So it says, once again, verse 15, and he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's the task, isn't it? Verse 16, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And then notice verse 17, and these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with what? Don't forget this. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will what? And they will recover. Now, is all of this a result of receiving the Holy Spirit? Yes or no? Yes. They receive the power, and then... As a result of receiving the gift, singular, now they are able to use gifts to pour out the blessing to other people. 
It's what Jesus said to the Samaritan woman. And he said also at the Feast of Tabernacles, he said, come and drink from me, receive the Spirit from me, and then you will become a fountain of life for others. As I preach to you, you received me, so I send you into the world so that you can bless others through the power that I have given you. In other words, we become channels through which Jesus, through his Spirit, can present the gospel to the world. In other words, the gift is the Holy Spirit. And the gifts are the particular gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us so that we can fulfill our mission. In other words, we might say that the gift is the power and the gifts are the tools that you use with the power to accomplish your purpose. Let me use an example so you can understand what I mean. You have a chainsaw. What is a chainsaw for? It's for cutting. It's a tool for cutting, right? Now, let me ask you, how much good is a chainsaw without any power? It's useless. It can be a beautiful, brand new McCullough chainsaw. But folks, unless the chainsaw, which is the tool, has power, it will not accomplish its purpose. Now, why do I use this illustration? Because what God gives to his people as the result of the sacrifice of Jesus is the power of the Holy Spirit. That is the gift, singular. But along with the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is the power, God also gives gifts, in plural, which are the tools that God's people are to use to accomplish the purpose for which the Holy Spirit was given. Am I making sense? In other words, the purpose of receiving the Holy Spirit is not to have a jolly good time and to enjoy yourself and to grow spiritually. That is not the primary purpose. The primary purpose of the power, according to what we just read in Mark chapter 16, is so that with that power we can use the gifts or the tools that the Holy Spirit gives us to preach what? To preach the gospel. In other words, the purpose of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is evangelism. It's fulfilling a mission. I want you to notice uh, Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Let's talk about the gift first. Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. We're going to corroborate now what I just said. The illustration of the chainsaw. Acts chapter 2 and verse 38 says the following. Then Peter said, to them. Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the singular or plural the gift of the Holy Spirit. Notice also Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10 and verse 45. Once again the same idea. Acts chapter 10 and verse 45. Here it says and those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the what? Because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been... What do you pour out? See the idea of water? Because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. Notice, gift in singular. Let's notice also, being that we're right close here, chapter 11 and verse 17. If therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? So what is the Holy Spirit? It is the what? The gift. But now let me ask you, does the Holy Spirit give gifts? See, the gift comes along with gifts. It's a big package with a lot of little packages inside it. In other words, the Holy Spirit is the gift or the power so that you can accomplish the purpose of the power through different gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to fulfill the mission, which is the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, notice that the Apostle Paul speaks about these gifts that we receive when we receive the Holy Spirit. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And let's read starting at verse 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7. And let's read very carefully here. 
We have plural, not singular. Let me ask you, if I ask you, what is the most urgent need that the church has today, what would you say? What? Witnesses. I think we need something before witnesses. What do we need? We need the Holy Spirit. And then when the Holy Spirit is given, the result is that you have all of the tools necessary to witness. The power and the tools. Now notice 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is... Oh, thank you very much. That's a delayed reaction. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given, connected with the word gift, yes or no? Yes. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit. So does God also give gifts when he gives the Holy Spirit? He most certainly does. He gives gifts. Now what is the purpose of these gifts? What is the purpose of the power and the gifts? Is it self-edification? For you to have a real nice time? For you to feel good? For you to be able to praise the Lord? For you to speak in tongues? And to edify yourself? Absolutely not. Every single time that Jesus speaks about the Holy Spirit, he's talking about us receiving the Holy Spirit so that we can then impart the Holy Spirit through our preaching to other people. In other words, the purpose of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is evangelistic. It's not entertainment. It's not even strengthening ourselves. It's so that we can serve as channels to preach the gospel of Jesus and other people can also be blessed. Is that point clear in your mind? We started with it and we're going to end with that tonight. You see, we, we come to Jesus and we do what? According to the story that we started with. We come to Jesus and we drink. And then when we drink, what happens? We're full. And do you know what most people do? They're full and they say, thank you, Lord, praise the Lord, and they just stay full. But what Jesus wants is when you're full, you should what? You should empty so that he can fill you again and you can empty, and he can fill you again and you can empty. The purpose of the power and of the gifts is evangelistic to witness, to present the gospel to other people. It's never for a selfish reason. And unfortunately, many of the gifts of the Holy Spirit are used today for selfish reasons. Now let me say something to you which is, is extremely important. Many people today in different churches say that there is such a thing as a double blessing. They say that first of all, you're baptized with water. And then sometime later, at some later point, in church, at some moment, you must now receive a second blessing, which is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the main argument that they use is that the disciples were all baptized by John the Baptist in water. But they did not receive the Holy Spirit until when? The day of Pentecost. And so they say, see, there's an interval of time between the baptism in water and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What they forget is that Jesus could not pour out the Holy Spirit upon the apostles until Jesus had been glorified. In other words, the only reason why there was an interval of time between the baptism of water and the baptism of the Spirit is because Jesus had to fulfill his mission and his ministry in order to be able to baptize them with the Spirit. Raise your hand if you're understanding what I'm saying. Now let me ask you, when Jesus was baptized, was he baptized in water, and then three and a half years later he received the Holy Spirit? No. You know very well that he was baptized, and when he, immediately when he came up out of the water, what happened? The Holy Spirit descended upon him, like a dove, in the form of a dove. You remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus? He said, you must be born of what? Of the water and of the 
Spirit. And let's notice what happened on the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Go with me to Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. I'll show you that Peter believed that both of these blessings come at the same time. God's ideal is that they both be poured out at the same time. It says there in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, after Peter's great sermon on the day of Pentecost, then Peter said to them, Repent. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. That's what water does, right? Water, the baptism of water, buries your sins. By the way, God couldn't have used a better illustration for uh, burying your sins than baptism. You know why? Because in baptism, your sins are buried in the water, according to the Bible. Now, the interesting thing is, when you're dunked under the water, because the Bible speaks about baptism by immersion, when you go under the water, you stop what? You stop breathing. And when you come up out of the water, what do you do? Oh, you take a big breath and you start breathing again. That's like a mini death, isn't it? Because when you die, you stop what? Breathing until Jesus comes to resurrect you, and then you breathe again. So it's like a little death and resurrection at the time of baptism. And so he says, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And then it says, And you shall receive, what? The gift of the Holy Spirit. Baptism and the Holy Spirit spoken of in the same context. Now what I want to do tonight, in the time that we have remaining, is speak particularly about one of those gifts of the Holy Spirit. I'm referring to the gift of tongues. It's probably the most famous gift that people remember when you talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And incidentally, it was the most prominent gift on the day of Pentecost. You read Acts chapter 2, there's no doubt whatsoever that on the day of Pentecost, the gift of the Holy Spirit, which overshadowed all of the other gifts, was the gift of tongues. Now, I want you to notice that when the disciples received the power, God gave them the tool. Are you with me or not? They received the power to witness, and then they received what? The tool. What good is the power if they can't make themselves understood? So, most people say, look, the gift of tongues, that is the most important. Everybody has to have the gift of tongues. Unless you have the gift of tongues, you can't be saved. And I've had some people come to me crying and saying, Pastor, I've just prayed for the gift of tongues. I've tried to get the gift of tongues, but I haven't been able to get it. And I'm afraid that I'm lost. Now let me ask you, why was the gift of tongues made so prominent on the day of Pentecost? Before I answer that question from the Bible, I want to just say that in the Bible we have four lists of spiritual gifts that the Apostle Paul gives. He only mentions the gift of tongues and interpretation of tongues in two of those lists. In two of them, the gift of tongues doesn't even appear. But I want you to notice that in the lists that he does give where he includes the gift of tongues, the gift of tongues is presented last. Let's go first of all to Ephesians chapter 4. And by the way, don't misunderstand me. Don't bail out on me. Because I'm not saying that the gift of tongues is not important. We're going to see that the gift of tongues is extremely important according to Scripture. Now notice Ephesians chapter 4 and verses 11 and 12. Notice that the Apostle Paul gives a hierarchy of gifts. Starting with the most important and then continuing the list. It says there in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11, And he himself gave some to be apostles some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. This is one place where the gift of tongues is not mentioned. And then he says what these gifts are for. He says, for the equipping of the saints for the work of what? Of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. In other words, the purpose of these gifts is to minister according to this. It is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Now let's go to the two lists where the Apostle Paul 
does mention the gift of tongues. The first of these references is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verses 8 through 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verses 8 through 11. Notice, let's read starting with verse 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to each is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. To another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healings by the same Spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another discerning of spirits. And now notice at the very end of the list, to another different kinds of tongues to another, the interpretation of tongues. And then notice towards the end of the chapter, starting at verse 28, the Apostle Paul once again gives a list of spiritual gifts. And he says, And God has appointed these in the church first. What is the most important gift? First, apostles. Second, prophets. Third, teachers. After that, Miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations. And what is at the end of the list? Varieties of tongues. And then the Apostle Paul is going to take issue with those who say that everybody must speak in tongues. He asks the question, are all apostles? What is the answer to that? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Are all workers of miracles? No. Do all have gifts of healings? No. Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? The answer is no. The gift of tongues is one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But it is not the only gift that everybody has to have, according to the New Testament. Now, in the lecture that you're going to get a copy of tonight as you go out, I discovered something very interesting as I was studying for this subject. And it is that in the rest of the book of Acts, after the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, all of the gifts that the Apostle Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians 12 are in the book of Acts. Let me just read some of them. The gift of healing. Is that in the book of Acts? Sure is. The gift of exorcism. Several places in Acts you find Paul casting out demons. The gift of evangelism. Philip is called Philip the Evangelist. The gift of administration. Remember that the apostles could not administrate the church, so they delegated it to the deacons in Acts chapter 6. Helps. Nobody better with that gift than Dorcas, the woman who helped others. The gift of prophecy. There are many references to prophets in the book of Acts. The gift of tongues, of course. The gift of teaching is mentioned several times in the book of Acts. Word of knowledge. Do you know what a word of knowledge was? When Peter was able to read the heart of Ananias and Sapphira. That was a word of knowledge. Exhortation. The name Barnabas, who was one of the key actors in the book of Acts, means son of exhortation. His name indicates what he was. And then, of course, you have apostles. So, in other words, all of the gifts that you have in Acts chapter 2 that come as a result of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, are found throughout the book of Acts. Not only the gift of tongues. Somebody might say, say, well, Pastor, why is the gift of tongues so prominent then in Acts chapter 2? Before I answer that question, let me say that there's a particular reason why the Holy Spirit gives a gift, and that is because the church needs it at that particular moment. And it is the Holy Spirit who decides which gift is poured out, not us. Because the Holy Spirit knows what the need of the church is at each particular moment. I want you to notice that the Holy Spirit is in charge. Once again, go back with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and let's read verse 7. Let's see who's in charge of giving the gifts. You know, we don't seek the gifts. We don't study for the gifts. We don't uh, get the gifts because we want them. The Holy Spirit determines who gets them. Notice 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7, it says, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Verse 11, But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as what? As He wills. Notice verse 18, 
But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. In verse 28, and God has appointed these in the church. And then it gives a list. So who is in control of the gifts? Who gives the gifts? It is God. And it depends on the particular need that the church has at any given moment. Well, let me ask you, what was the particular need of the church on the day of Pentecost? Well, let's go to Acts chapter 2 and take a look at this. Let's let the Bible speak and tell us what the particular need of the believers were was at that time. Let's begin at verse 1. It says, now when the day of Pentecost, by the way, Pentecost was also one of those feasts where every male had to come to Jerusalem for the celebration of it. So there were millions of people probably in the area at this time. So it says, now when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire. You remember what John the Baptist said? The one who is coming is going to baptize you with what? With the Holy Spirit and with fire. Here it is. Verse 3, Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as they wished. No, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, why did they speak in these different languages, these different tongues? Because some people say, well, these are, these are just uh, mysterious tongues that nobody understands anywhere. The fact is that this gift was given for a practical purpose. Let's continue reading. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. You have many nationalities, right? Is that going to create a problem? Why? Because these nationalities all have different languages. By the way, this is speaking about Jews that had been uh, dispersed in what is known as the diaspora or the dispersion. They'd been dispersed all over the Roman Empire. They'd lost the knowledge of Aramaic, which was the language probably that Jesus spoke. And, and they had learned the languages of the nations where they were. Was it urgent that these people on the day of Pentecost hear the great things that Jesus had done to redeem them? Yes, it was urgent that very day. Because then they were going to go where? They were going to go back to the nations that they came from and they were going to become missionaries. They were going to have the power and they were going to become missionaries to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. But how could they hear the message if their language was not the language of the apostles? Continue reading. Verse 6. And with this, When this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Wow! It's like I don't speak French and I have to proclaim the gospel somewhere urgently in French because there's nobody else to do it. The Holy Spirit puts um, a, a computer chip in my brain so that I speak fluent French. Now that's really something. And so it says here, everyone heard them speak in his own language. Some people say the gift of tongues is the gift of hearing tongues. No. You see, all of the 120 were speaking in tongues. It wasn't only Peter. So they weren't hearing tongues. It wasn't the gift of... Of, of Peter speaking in Aramaic and they're hearing in their own language. It's a case where Peter is speaking one language and James is speaking another language and John is speaking another language of the people who are present there. Let's continue reading. Notice verse 7. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? What does that mean, language in which we were born? It means our native language. By the way, native comes from nativity, birth. And so it continues saying in verse 9, notice the, the nations that were represented there, Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, 
Cretans and Arabs. Some list of nations, right? We hear them speaking in our own what? In our own tongues, the wonderful works of God. And what were the wonderful works of God? What had just happened in Jerusalem in the last few weeks. What was the purpose of the gift of tongues? Was it for self-edification or was it for the purpose of fulfilling a mission of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ? It was for proclaiming the gospel. Now go with me to the book of Acts chapter 1. Chapter 1 and verses 6 through 8. Acts chapter 1 and verses 6 through 8. I want you to notice, Jesus clearly says here what the gifts are for. It says there, Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or season which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive what? Power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, what is the purpose of the power? Continue reading. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. What is the purpose of the power? To witness. What is the purpose of the gifts? To witness. Are you understanding what I'm saying? In other words, the purpose of the gifts is evangelism, proclamation of the good news of the gospel of Jesus. Now you notice the order that Jesus mentions. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost ends of the earth. Now if you look at your list of texts, we won't have time to read all of these texts, but I'm going to refer to them. In Acts 4.31, the day of Pentecost has passed. Everybody has left Jerusalem. They're going back to their native countries. And once again, the Holy Spirit is poured out. But you know what's interesting? The gift of tongues, tongues is not poured out at that moment. You know why? How come? Because it wasn't needed. Because everybody who spoke different languages was gone. Notice Acts 4.31. Maybe we ought to read it. Acts chapter 4 and verse 31. This is the day after the day of Pentecost. People are on their way home. And it says here in uh, Acts chapter 4 and verse 31. Notice the Holy Spirit is poured out again. It says, and when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. No reference to tongues. No need for tongues. Because now they were speaking to local people. You might say, well, maybe that's just a coincidence. You know, what's interesting is when you go to Acts chapter 8, the gospel has moved from Jerusalem now to Samaria. And I want you to notice what happens in Samaria. By the way, what language did the Samaritans speak? Don't tell me Samaritan. <laughs> they actually spoke the same language as the Jews. Jesus spoke to the Samaritan woman in a language that she could understand. And Jesus spoke Aramaic. Now I want you to notice that when the Holy Spirit is poured out in Samaria, there's no manifestation of the gift of tongues. Notice chapter 8 and starting with verse 14. Chapter 8 and verse 14. Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. No reference to tongues. Tongues was not necessary. But do you know that there are two other references to tongues in the book of Acts. One of those references is in Acts chapter 10. Maybe we ought to go there to Acts chapter 10. This time the gospel has moved from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria, to Samaria and now it's all the way to Caesarea where there's a man whose name is Cornelius. I want you to notice Acts chapter 10 and verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished. 
As many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So in Caesarea, they spoke in what? In tongues. Now, was this a fulfillment of the same promise that John the Baptist had made? Was it the same gift as at the day of Pentecost? We know that for a fact. Because in chapter 11, in verse 16, it says, Then I remember the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, was it the same gift that was received on the day of Pentecost, this gift of tongues? Yes, so it must have been a gift of languages that they did not know, but which people they spoke to knew. Are you following me or not? Now why in Caesarea? Listen, Caesarea was one of the most important ports. In fact, it was the most important port on the Mediterranean between Tyre, where Lebanon is now, and Egypt. People from every nation under heaven brought their wares there and imported things to sell. We know it was a metropolitan center where people from all languages would come. Why do you suppose the gift of tongues was poured out in Caesarea? So that those who lived there would be able to minister to the people who came from different language groups to Caesarea. Now also, the gift of the Holy Spirit is poured out and the gift of tongues is given in Acts chapter 19, verses 1 to 6. This time, it's in Ephesus. Ephesus was one of the main ports in Asia. People from every nation under heaven came to Ephesus. Why would the Holy Spirit be poured out at Ephesus, and why would they be given the ability to speak in tongues? For the simple reason that there would be people from all nations there, and the gift would be necessary to proclaim the wonderful works of God. And then, of course, the Apostle Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, speaks about the gift of tongues as it was manifested in Corinth, which was a very important port in Europe. And so now the gospel has gone where? Not Jerusalem. Not Judea, not Samaria, not Caesarea, which is in the northern border of Israel, right beyond the northern, northern border of Israel. Now it has gone beyond that. It has gone to Ephesus. It has gone to Corinth. It has gone to the uttermost ends of the earth. It is the gift of tongues, the same gift of tongues as was given originally on the day of Pentecost. Yes, and what was the purpose of the gift of tongues? It was to proclaim the marvelous works of what Jesus had done. The gift of tongues is so prominent because it was needed the most. Because there was a language barrier. And in order to overcome the language barrier, it was necessary for the gift of tongues to be imparted. In other words, the purpose of the gift of tongues is not self-edification. It's not feeling good. The purpose is evangelistic, to present the great works of God to those with whom we can't communicate because they don't understand the same language that we speak and that we understand. Now let me conclude by going to Matthew chapter 7. So go with me to Matthew chapter 7. I'm going to share with you something which is extremely important because some people say, you know, the gift of tongues, that shows whether you are spiritual, that shows whether you are saved, that shows whether you really have the Holy Spirit or not. Let me say, folks, do you know what really shows whether you have the Holy Spirit or not? It is not the gifts of the Spirit, it is the fruit of the Spirit. They're related, but they're not the same. They're related because both come from the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit come from the same Spirit. But the gift of the Spirit is by the purpose of proclaiming evangelistically the great works of God, the message of Jesus, whereas the fruit of the Spirit is the character of Jesus lived out in our life. Now go with me to Matthew chapter 7, and we'll move through this very, very quickly. Matthew 7 and verse 15. This is Jesus speaking. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Are these individuals uh, professing to be Christians? Why sheep's clothing? What does the sheep represent? 
Christ. Verse 16, how do you know if they're sheep or if they're wolves? Oh, Jesus says in verse 16, you will know them by their gifts. Oh, thank you. You're still out there. Delayed reaction, but all right. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Remember John the Baptist said the same thing? Therefore, by their fruits ye will know them. What shows that you have Christ in your life, that you have the Holy Spirit in your life? It's the presence of the fruit of the Spirit. And now I'm going to share with you something very solid. Do you know that there's a manifestation of many false gifts within the church? False gifts? You say, how, how's that? Notice verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. There are those who hear what Jesus says, and there are those who do what Jesus says. Verse 22. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, are these people who profess to be Christians? Yes. Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? In whose name? In the name of Jesus. Cast out demons in your name? And done many wonders in your name? Are these true gifts or false gifts? He just talked about sheep, I mean wolves, who are clothed as what? A sheep. And then notice verse 23. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. And some people say, well, they, these were true gifts, and then they departed from the Lord. You know, and then Jesus says, none of that counts. But the fact is, Jesus says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. That word lawlessness there is the identical word in 1 John 3, 4, where it says that sin is the transgression of the law. In other words, these people are going to say that it's okay to continue sinning as long as you have the gifts. Serious stuff. Let's go to one final text. I'll just refer quickly to one or two others on your list. Notice Luke chapter 6 and verse 46. This is the same episode, but from Luke's perspective. It says in Luke chapter 6 and verse 46, But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. And then you have the famous story of the man who built his house where? On the rock. What does it mean to build on the rock? It means to hear the words of Christ and what? Do them. What does it mean to build on the sand? It means that you hear the words of Christ and what? That's all you do is hear them. Now on your list you have a series of texts that I want you to look up because our time is up. John 15. You can read those verses. Jesus speaks about the vine and the branches. And the branches must bear fruit or else they're cut off and thrown into the fire. Matthew 3.10, John the Baptist says, every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And what is the fruit? The Apostle Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is love, peace, joy, etc. That's how people know. If we are truly saved, if we've really accepted Jesus Christ, the fruit. Acts 5.32 says that God gives His Holy Spirit to everyone who obeys Him. In John 14, verse 14, the Lord Jesus says, If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray to the Father, and he will give you another counselor. Is the impartation of the Holy Spirit, does that have anything to do with loving Jesus and keep it, keeping his commandments? Yes. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray to the Father and give you another counselor. The bottom line, folks, is we can talk about the gifts of the Spirit all our lives. But unless we have the fruit of the Spirit in our life, it's just a pretense. So I pray to the Lord that we will receive Jesus as our Savior, that we'll come and drink from the rock, from Jesus, so that as we drink, we will have water, as it says in our belly or in our heart, 
that we might be able to impart to other people, and that also along with the power of the Holy Spirit, we might also receive the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Do you know that a tree never eats its own fruit? You produce fruit for others to eat. And so we produce fruit through the power of the Spirit to bless others. Let us pray. Father, we thank you because in your holy word you have told us that not only have you given the power to your church, but you have also given the gifts of your Holy Spirit. And even beyond that, you've given us the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We realize that if we have the Holy Spirit, we have everything. If we don't have the Holy Spirit, we have absolutely nothing. I ask, Lord, that if there's anybody gathered here tonight who has not accepted Jesus as personal Savior and Lord, that you will come at this very moment and you will impress their hearts about the need to receive Jesus into their lives. That they might receive the blessing of the Holy Spirit because with that blessing comes all of the rest. Be with us now, Lord, as we leave this place. Be with us and guide us and protect us through the ministry of your holy angels. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.